Welcome to How I Raised It, the podcast that goes behind the scenes with entrepreneurs who've raised capital. We uncover the tips, tricks, and techniques they use to get investors to write a check. Strap in and turn it up. Hi, welcome to another episode of How I Raised It, produced by Foundersuite.com. Today I have Chris Hicken of Nuff Said coming to us from Salt Lake City in week two or three of uh, shelter in place. How's it going there? Well, because we're a software company, it's pretty much business as usual for us. We've, we started the company with employees in Canada, Atlanta, Salt Lake City, San Francisco, and India. So um, it hasn't, frankly, hasn't impacted us that much yet. And because we're early stage, we're not spending a lot of our time selling. Um, we, um, we're lucky, I guess we're lucky in that sense. Um, but we're not seeing much of an impact on our business. It's interesting. Yeah. For us, we, we've been virtual pretty much from day one. We've got people in Norway and Poland and Ukraine and San Francisco Bay area, but like, but the business is getting impacted because our customers are startups and that's a lot of them are really scared right now and, and kind of freaking out and cutting every cost they can. So that's, that's a little bit of a factor for us or headwind, but uh, yeah. Well, I I think it's going to be pretty ugly. Well, look, this is just one person's opinion, but I think it'll be probably pretty ugly for the next 45 months. But I also very much believe that um, the current leaders of uh, in in the, in in the um, office of the president and the leaders of the Senate will do whatever they can to preserve their, uh, their run in office, which means passing all kinds of stimulus bills, loan forgiveness, mortgage postponement, all the things they can do to kickstart consumer spending and hiring, they're going to they're gonna take advantage of those things. So I, I, I maybe am overly optimistic, but I'm definitely optimistic okay. that the economy will come online more quickly than it did in 08. I, I kind of actually share that sentiment too, and I, I hope we're both right. I feel like, yeah, people are, are freaking out and despondent, but like there's still kind of this larger momentum wave that, you know, even if you put up a, a barrier, it's still going to carry forward. So I hope so. Um, well, let's not harp on that too much. Uh, what is Nuff said? What do you guys do? So maybe I'll start by describing the problem that we want to solve, which is that, and, and I noticed this problem when I was at user testing for about eight years. Uh, and over that time period, people were becoming increasingly overloaded with information and communication at work. And, and while people were spending more time in the office than ever, sometimes people were, were working 10, 12, sometimes 14 hours a day. Certainly by the end, it felt like people were spending less time doing their actual job than they ever had before. And the problem I think will continue to continue to get worse, you know, as, as uh, investors pump more and more money into software companies you have really cool technologies coming out in augmented reality for the office, digital assistance, voice, digital assistance for the office. So given in a world where we're already overwhelmed and it's going to continue to get worse, how do you solve that problem? And our, our vision for solving that problem means building an AI brain that sits on your shoulder beside you at work. Mm-hmm. And it does two things. One, it filters out all the noise from your, from your workspace, but more importantly, it helps to focus you on work that matters, work and tasks that matter. And so that's what we're doing. We're building, we're building a brain for knowledge workers 
that helps you focus on the work that will move the needle for your job. And give us just a, a, a simple scenario of a, a, a startup founder using this. How's it sort of helped them prioritize? Maybe a little use case. Sure. So we don't actually think about it quite like that. What we, what, the way that we're thinking about this is in order for an AI brain to be effective, it needs to understand who you are at work. And so in order to understand who you are at work, we've, we've, we're tackling this, um, this problem on a department by department basis. So we're saying, okay, customer success, sales, marketing, engineering, what does it look like to be successful in that job? What are the tasks that help you be successful? And what are the, what are the types of distractions that you're likely going to get in your day? And so what that, what we do, what we're doing is, and, and again, we're early stage, so we can only tackle one of these at a time. So we're starting with the, the customer success group or the revenue retention group within, within a company. And we're building an AI that understands that you are someone who's responsible for maintaining revenue for your company. We understand what your customers look like. We understand what types of activities you need to get done in your day. And we built a whole model around detecting risk in your portfolio so that when we find that you have a customer that's potentially at risk of churning, um, or not renewing their subscription with you, we're able to identify that risk really early for you, sometimes within a couple of weeks of the customer onboarding, so that you every single day when, when you're sitting down in front of your portfolio, you're taking small actions every single day to reduce risk in the portfolio and help your customers get to a place where they're realizing the value from the product. Hmm. Okay, interesting. And the product is live or it's in beta or what's the status? Yeah, the pr product is live right now, although it's very early days. We just we launched the product three or four weeks ago. We're kind of slowly onboarding new users onto the platform. Uh, the first version of the product uh, centralizes all of your communication apps, your calendar, and your tasks into a single view. Obviously, we're going to add many more, many more integrations in the future. But uh, you know, early days, it's going to be Gmail, Slack, Google Calendar. Um, Google Chat, Zoom, all of those platforms will be pulled together into, into a single view. Um, future versions of the, of the product, in order for this to be fully featured, it needs to be able to integrate data from your Salesforce and from your, you know, if you're a customer success manager, from your Gainsight, um, from your Zendesk, you know, wherever you're doing your customer support, customer success, and then from your product management tool, your Jira, your Trello, et cetera. So um, that's kind of how we're thinking about the product. Cool. Sounds interesting. Sounds, uh, uh, sounds cool. I'll check it out. Let's talk about raising money. How much have you guys raised and, uh, over how many rounds? Yeah. Enough about enough said, let's get to the good stuff. <laughs> um, so we just raised and we just announced about four weeks ago that we raised $4.3 million led by general catalyst and Google's AI focused fund called Gradient Ventures. We also, we were fortunate to get a bunch of participation from other people who have been great partners for us already. Um, we have uh, a Global Founders Capital, which is one of the biggest uh, venture funds in Europe. Uh, we have uh, Chris Yeh from Wasabi Ventures. And then we also got uh, Brianne Kimmel from Work Life Ventures and Beth Turner from uh, SV Angel. So it was it was actually a pretty amazing round with some uh, truly, I, I think, truly exceptional people uh, backing the company. And 
Well, I'll pause there because I think you probably have a follow-up question to that. Yeah, well, maybe talk about putting that round together. And, and I mean, uh, you do have a blog post which we can link to that kind of describes the process, but maybe take us through the process. I mean, you you guys are so early and young. Talk about raising money for such a uh, nascent business. Sure, the, the seed round is, is, is an unusual round. So I want to talk a little bit about this. When I was at user testing, um, our CEO, Daryl Benatar, and I raised four rounds together. And my expectation of what it would be like to, be a, to raise, a, raise a seed round was similar to that. And that, that process looks something like this. Uh, do we have less than a year of, of cash left in the bank? Okay, time to start fundraising. Then we start the process of reaching out to VCs. And then three or four months later, we get a term sheet. And I just thought maybe that's how seed round uh, fundraising must go. But then I, I actually spent a year at a firm called Inspiration Ventures. So I was a partner in, in Inspiration VC. They do exclusively early stage pre-seed and seed stage deals. They're oftentimes the first professional money into the company. Mm. And I got a real insider look at how investors make decisions in early stage companies. And what I realized is that um, at the early stage, at the pre-seed or the seed round, there's so little evidence that your idea is going to work that VCs kind of discount your product idea. Mm. So most founders go in spending a lot of time talking about how, you know, how amazing their product is and they have these screenshots. And you know what? VCs, can I, can I swear on this, on this yeah, podcast? Sure. Go go. VCs, VCs they, don't just, they, don't, they don't give a shit about yeah. the product because they know the product is probably going to iterate at least a couple of times before you get to good product market fit. So they're looking for other factors. And primarily those, those two factors are, number one, um, is can you convince me that a problem, a problem exists, it's severe enough that people will pay money for it, and that there's enough of these problems to justify a huge market? Mm -hmm. So uh, that's, and by the way, I think we can have an interesting conversation about both of these two factors. But that's factor number one. Factor number two is the quality of the entrepreneur and venture capitalists, you know, like any human being, uh, you know, they have limited information. Mm -hmm. And so they're looking for, you know, they're, they're trying to pattern match. They're looking for um, symbols of, of demonstrated success in the past. So they're looking for things like, you know, fancy badges, like maybe a fancy title or a big company logo on your resume or a nice university badge in your, on your LinkedIn. Some, 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 some way to demonstrate a track record of success in previous work experiences. Yeah. And so what I realized uh, raising the seed round was I couldn't just go in and well, let me take a step back. I, I was confident that I could do number one, which was make a compelling case for the market size of this idea. But I couldn't do a good job of, of you know, I think obviously I, I think I have a decent track record in terms of success, but the, you know, if you're, if I'm asking you to put millions of dollars, invest millions of dollars into me, I can't just introduce myself and expect to get a term sheet from you within a couple of months. That's just not enough time. And so what I realized is that the, the philosophy for early stage investing needs to be ABR, always be raising, which mm -hmm. means that 
a, a, a constant part of your job as an early stage founder is, of course, you have to build the product. Of course, you have to hire the team. But every single week, you have to be spending time on fund, fundraising. It's just a part of the job. And you have to accept that it's, uh, it is a regular and ongoing part of building your company. Yeah. So let's, let's talk on that a little bit. I mean, so yeah. what were you doing specifically? And this is always like where the more granular, the better, right? I mean, some, some people on the show, like talk about their whole process for like finding investors on LinkedIn and their messaging to, to reach out to them and, and get a coffee or like, you know, how are you sort of raising before raising or, or yeah. Yeah. So the, so this is the process that I ran. I started by building my list of dream team investors. So this is kind of like my ideal list of people that I would, not firms, not firms, individuals that I wanted to invest in Nuff said. And in a moment, I'm, I'm happy to talk about what, what that looks like for us because um, we have a very kind of uh, discreet way of defining what an ideal investor looks like. Then, you know, again, we'll always be raising, right? So this is part of our process. We uh, embarked on my, I had started my fundraising process in January of 2019. Mm -hmm. So what I did was I started by going to my dream team and, and giving them a list of company ideas that I was thinking about starting. And I asked for their feedback about which one they would be most excited about investing in. Mm. And through that process, I got a, a good sense of what factors uh, 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 an investor would look for when in making this investment decision. Yep. Uh, but I also got an early, you know, early feedback and advice about how to go, you know, go about making my decision. And then what I was able to do is every month after meeting with them, I was able to give them meaningful progress that we had made in the company since our last meeting. Some mm -hmm. of these, some of these updates were done in person. Some of them were done over email, but for example, some of the uh, you know, I, you know, first let them know, Hey, after our discussion, I've, I've decided on, on this business and here's why. And the next meeting I was able to show them early kind of product mock-ups that I did on my own. And then the next meeting I was able to tell them about that. I just brought on two amazing co-founders. And then after that, we were able to show some technical validation that we had done on proving that the product could actually be built the way that we expected to build it. Yep. And the next meeting, we were able to show them early product designs, uh, early product mock-ups. And so this whole time we were bringing investors along into our journey mm. so that when it was time to raise money, they had, there was a track record of, of information coming their way. They could see uh, uh, that we were very good at executing on our plan uh, and that we had done a good job of uh, building a compelling case for the business. And then when it was time to actually raise the money, we started by, <laughs> we actually had our dream team, but we also had the, kind of like the B team as well, uh, which mm -hmm. is kind of our, our second favorite uh, list of investors. Yep. So we, we did all, we lined up pitches with all of our kind of B team investors first. Mm -hmm. And we just practiced giving the company pitch. Um, and we made all of our mistakes with, with those investors. And, you know, every time, you know, we made a lot of mistakes, we screwed up a lot. It didn't have as much of an impact on us because we were maybe less, less interested in raising money from those investors. But we also, we learned a lot. I mean, every no that we got, every piece of feedback helped us improve our pitch, helped us uh, dial in our messaging. And so finally, when we were really excited, we went to our dream team, which is a very small list of investors, maybe four investors in total. Yep. 
And, you know, that's when we, you know, we ended up getting our offer from Nico, Nico at Nico Bonazzos at General Catalyst was actually our number one person on the dream team. Mm. So we got an offer from him. And, you know, once we, once we had our offer from him, a lot, a lot of the investors who we thought were, would also be great to add uh, came in with offers. So I think we ended up getting 12 firms to um, make offers to join. The round, unfortunately, wasn't big enough to include everyone, um, but we had uh, you know, quite a bit of interest because so many companies knew about us and had seen our track record over time. Yeah, several follow-up questions. Um... There's a lot to that. It's pretty interesting. Obviously, I guess the B team, it must be frustrating to be the B team, right? Like, uh, and maybe you don't know you're the B team investor, but getting pitched and then like losing. You know, you know, you know when you're the B team. But here's the thing. The B team, the, the way that B team, the B team players get deals is by saying yes early and giving you a really good valuation. And they, they know that. So if there's yeah. something that really catches their eye and their attention, they can still get into those deals. It's just, you know, they know they have to act quickly and they have to act before, before the A-team gets involved. Sure, sure, sure. Um, no, that's good. The, uh, I guess one question I did have, like, I love this, you know, sort of bringing the investors along on the journey. They can see your execution, all this good stuff. How do you sort of tip that into, like, getting them to, to put down a term sheet or something? Because it seems like they would default to being like, Hey, you're doing great. Good job. Come back when you've got, you know, more, you know, product in market, more traction, more traction. Right. I mean, there's always that sort of like goalpost that often moves when you're doing this. So how yeah. do you sort of turn it from come along on our journey to like, all right, catalyst time, put down a term sheet. Yeah. So uh, that's a great question. Um, the way that we did it was, there was a point when the company just needed to raise some money. You know, we needed to hire more engineers. We needed more resources. And so when I went to the, the dream team, I said, look, you know, we need money right now. I'm either going to raise a friends and family round um, or I'm going to raise money from you. And my preference is to raise from you because, and, I, and, and by the way, for everyone on the dream team, I told them, and especially Nico, I told him he was on the dream team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like, look, <laughs> Are we going to do, are we gonna, you, you've seen the company's progress. Are we going to do a deal here or not? You know, and, and the reality was, and I think most, most uh, skilled investors know that when there's a good company with a good product after the seed round, if there's early traction, a lot of times companies can raise either a very large, a, a very large seed or a mat yeah. or, or a small a. So getting it early gives you the benefit of really nice pricing so that, that you get good owner as a seed investor, you get good ownership for, placing that early bet. So that was it. It's just like, look, we're going to raise money. So are we, you know, are we going to do this together or not? And of course, uh, you know, Nico and I had been in contact for quite a while and he was ready at that point to, to place a bet. So he'd seen what, like six or seven months of sort of progress, I guess. Something yeah. Like at least six months. It was probably, it was probably more than that. It was probably seven or eight months of total progress. I kind of mentally had signed up for doing at least nine months of fundraising, if not 12. Mm-hmm. He's, I, I've met him maybe once. I don't really know him, but like, uh, he does a great job of marketing him himself and his brand, right? He's got kind of a brand on LinkedIn and social media. He, um, and, and you know what? He's every bit as good as he, he projects. I mean, he's just, a, he's just a great guy, uh, an entrepreneur at heart and a wonderful partner. So he's as good as he sounds to be. <laughs> That's good. That's important. 
Um, very good. And then I guess, so. Let's, let's talk, talk a little about dream team. Yeah. What, what, is it, what, what does it mean to be on the dream team? I think every entrepreneur has to actually have this written down somewhere. What does it look like for me to have a good part? What does a good partnership look like? And you have to have it written down. And I think you have to have agreement with your co-founders of what you're looking for. So for us, it was five things. Mm-hmm. Um, number one was we needed, we wanted to find investors who had matching risk profiles to us. And what's um, that mean? So we were looking for, Okay, let's start with what our what our risk profiles are. We all have extremely high expectations for ourselves and the company's performance. We want to build a company that leaves the world in a better place than we found it. Uh, we want to build something very big. And um, so for us, we wanted to find someone who's trying to make a name for themselves, someone who is ambitious, not someone who uh, does a little bit of VC in between rounds of golf, mm-hmm. right? Because everyone knows those investors. Um, so we're looking for like a kind of up and coming, like, let's, let's build something together. Let's work hard together. Let's hustle hard together. Um, and so that's number one, matching, matching risk profiles. The second one was, uh, diversity of opinion. So we wanted to bring on investors into this round, both men and women into the round. Um, frankly, we actually struggled with that in the early days. We sent out, uh, two dozen probably requests to, um, women partners at different firms. Mm-hmm. And we only ended up hearing back from one of those in our outreach. Uh, it's probably frankly, because they're focused on helping enable other women entrepreneurs. So mm-hmm. I, I kind of understand the situation frustrating in the early days for us to get some, uh, some attention from women investors. Finally, we were lucky. We got Brianne Kimmel and Beth Turner, uh, Turner to make investments enough said, um, but certainly we, 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 we were not willing to close our round until we had had at least two women invest in enough said. Mm, interesting. The third one was we're looking for people that are just genuinely good human beings. Um, <laughs> so, you know, and you know, part of this is you, you, you pick this up from, from meeting with the investors, whether or not they're willing to spend time with you socially when you're not just talking business you can catch up personally before talking about fundraising. So that there's a human connection beyond just like you are my next investment and what's the return. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think this is probably, you know, everyone has their own kind of criteria of what great human being looks like. Um, so the fourth item was we're looking for someone who's an entrepreneur at heart. So this is what we mean by that is, a partner who had either been an operator at a previous company, had founded their own company, or just in general had an entrepreneurial spirit, we definitely now want to compare and contrast that. We definitely were not looking for a partner who is uh, formally like a finance person, a Wall Street banker, someone who runs their life off of spreadsheets and numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, we, want, we want people to understand the process of building a company, hiring people, developing a product. And so uh, that's what we mean by entrepreneur at heart. And then the last one is we wanted someone who was extremely direct without judgment. Mm. So we did not like meeting with, with VCs who beat around the bush, who weren't willing to tell us exactly how they saw it. We also didn't want assholes Mm -hmm. who, you know, were, uh, (laughs) would, would belittle, 
would belittle the, the team or the product. But we're looking for that nice in-between balance, which is hard to find. Yeah, sure. Tell you exactly how you see it without being judgmental, without belittling. belittling. Yeah. And so, um, and again, we, we found that I think every single one of our investors, especially Nico, uh, fits that criteria. How many of the, the folks that ended up writing checks did you know from before, from user testing days, or are these all green contacts you've cultivated? Uh, every single one of them is new. Okay. Yep. I've got, I'm, work, I'm working my user testing uh, connections for our series A and B rounds. But the seed, you know, it's a different profile of investor. So I didn't have the deep connections uh, from, uh, from my time of user testing in seed. Yeah. And um, you mentioned on your blog post kind of like ways you initiated dialogues with them. Uh, any comments there on how you sort of got in touch with some of these folks? Well, usually that you know your first your first introduction into a uh, a firm is usually through a more junior a kind of associate or principal level person who is mm-hmm. doing prospecting work. It's kind of the equivalent of a, like an SDR for sales. Sure. And um, I think it's uh, if you rely on if you rely on the principal to to forward you to the right partner they're unlikely to get it right just because they're not going to be as good as you are at filtering out the criteria that I just listed. I mean, you, you know the profile person that you're looking for. So it's better if you go into those conversations knowing exactly which partner you want to meet up with. So for example, it's, it's very easy. You have a, 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 you know, a meeting scheduled with general catalyst. Great. You go onto their website, you see who does early stage investment deals. There's probably going to be three to four of them. You can go look at their LinkedIn profiles and their backgrounds. You can search for their name on Google to figure out, uh, you know, what, what kind of postings they do on social media. Um, and, and you can also talk to, you know, you can see what boards they sit on and just reach out to a couple of entrepreneurs that they've invested in to see what it's like working with them and if they'd recommend it. So it's actually pretty, you know, it takes time. Yeah. But it's a pretty, pretty easy process to figure out which partner would be the best fit for you. So one of the debates people always have is like, should you even spend time with associates or analysts? And do you take that meeting or do you skip it? How do you tactfully skip it if you choose to skip it? I don't know. Any thoughts on that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I like taking the meetings with the associates because the associates end up eventually being partners. Mm. So I, you know, I like building kind of the early relationships, especially with the the kind of up and comers. Um, one of the, he's not an associate level people, person, but one of the guys, um, the guy that we ended up raising money from, from uh, global founders capital, um, Max Mayer, uh, he's not one of the managing partners, but, this guy, he's just a total rock star. I mean, he's, you know, he's helpful. He's good to bounce ideas off of. He's well connected. Um, and so when we raised money from them, we made it a, a part of the deal required that Max be the, our main point of contact for the deal, not one mm-hmm. of the managing partners. Um, okay, interesting. And so that, that actually worked out. I think probably, probably worked out well for Max, but really great for us too. I mean, Max and I have a really great relationship and uh, it's a way, I think, for, uh, you know, I think a way, if Nuff said successful, a way for us to help him develop his career, uh, but also gives us a, a, a wonderful daily, you know, weekly point of contact with, with global founders. Capital. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I guess there could be that argument that if you find someone who's 
up and coming and, and uh, on the ascent or trying to make that career, maybe that's someone that's going to hustle harder for you than someone that's already made it, right? Perhaps? I don't know. T- totally <laughs> true. I mean, that's totally true. I mean, and that's true of a lot of these associate level people that are doing initial calls. They're, they're hustling hard. They want to get that partner level position uh, and they're going to work. They're going to go the extra mile for you. Interesting. Very good. And so here's a total tangent, I guess. Um, how much do you think the user testing logo on your team slide or your background slide helped? Like if you didn't have that, how much harder? Cause it, there's this perception rightly or wrongly that, you know, you get one successful company under the belt, like fundraising is just, easy, easy sledding from here on out. If you didn't have that, how much harder do you think it would have been for you? Oof, that's a tough question. I know it is. It's, I, it's uh, hard to answer. But. I, I, you know, here's what I'd say. How much uh, of that was a calling card, right? Or, you know, opening the doors. Uh, it was not a calling card at all. First uh-huh. of all, I'll start, I'll start with that. I think the reason why the, the, the logo was valuable was I was able to point to it as a a demonstrated proof record, you know, track record of, of functional discipline, uh, mastery and success. So I was able to point to my time at user testing showing how I was able to successfully build, uh, you know, a, a marketing sales team, customer success team, professional services and finance build up those functions. And I was able to speak in detail about how I built those from scratch, basically being the first person myself to do the role, to eventually having a whole department and a department leader overseeing it. And I think other founders can overcome not having that same level of experience by being able to demonstrate some kind of functional expertise or mastery. So mm-hmm. maybe, you know, maybe you're as a founder, you're an exceptional product manager or an exceptional engineer or an exceptional salesperson. Yeah. But you need to you need to be able to point out and have of of uh, evidence of your success in that role. If you're just coming to the table with, uh, "Hey, I was a salesperson X Y Z," not going to really impress the, not going to impress the investor. Um, okay. So I guess it, it, it was helpful. It was helpful that I had success. It was it was helpful that I had success over a long period of time. You know, it was, I was that at user testing for almost eight years. What was your um, just for context? Were you like one of the first ex-founders or uh, what was, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was employee number five. Okay. And the company was doing about a couple hundred thousand in sales when I joined. Um, and the founders, you know, Daryl Benatar and Dave Garr, uh, very gifted product minds. Um, and, you know, kudos to them for building such an incredible product. I'm, you know, I, of course, I, I love product too, but I'm, I'm really driven by growth. And so... Um, I kind of functionally owned a lot of the go-to-market stuff while they've uh, spent most of their time thinking about product, product and engineering. Yeah. Interesting. Very good. All right. I won't keep you too much longer. Now that you're, you mentioned, uh, you know, are you already thinking about series A? I know the ink's barely dry on this seed round, but talk about how you're sort of preparing. (laughs) You, you, You started off saying always be raising ABR. So maybe how are you doing that? Every yeah, I mean, every two weeks I'm doing meetings with investors. I have a quarterly update email that I send out to people on the series on my Series A target list, both the A team and the B team, uh, letting them know what our progress is on the company. 
Um, fun, it's ABR, always be raising. It's, it's, a, it's a part of my weekly routine of thinking about what we need to do next to keep investors coming along in our journey. Um, so when it comes time to raise the Series A, um, we're going to have a team of investors who know a lot about the company and the product and our traction to date and what customers have said. Um, so I think we'll be really well positioned to raise our Series A, even even in, in the current climate. Yeah. Uh, and any thoughts just actually before we get to thoughts on current climate, you know, in this sort of always be raising like, is it just sort of again, bringing them along and talking about your progress and, and different milestones that you're hitting or is there, or is there more to it? Yeah, it, it's, it's really that it's um, showing it's giving investors confidence that you are thinking holistically about the business. And what, what I mean is giving them insight into how you're thinking about the competitive landscape, uh, product development and features and how, how we're selecting those uh, proof of, uh, engineering expertise and being able to deliver on uh, product milestones. Um, mm -hmm. It's early go-to-market motions that you, you're putting in place, whether it's uh, on the marketing or the sales side. And I think maybe a combination of both would be good. Um, and then finally, any you know, in terms of finance, they're expecting you to see, you know have a pretty good sense of how you're budgeting you know, what your cash, how you're managing cash runway, how you're thinking about new investments mm -hmm. into the company and what your plan is going to be for any future fundraising, um, you know, relative to the financial plan that you've put in place. And you send this out, is it monthly or, or quarterly, did you say? And how about how many people are on like your series A dream team and yeah. B team list? Yeah. Well, okay. So the, 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 yeah, we send it out quarterly. The, the A team is small. It's seven people. Okay. Um, you know, the B team is another, I don't know, I'm looking at my list here. I mean, it's a lot. It's probably 25 people. Okay. Mm -hmm. But there are certain people, for example, I'm going to throw out a few names because I think they're just wonderful people and I hope they hear this podcast. Um, Santi Subotovsky at Emergence Capital. I would actually say everyone at Emergence Capital is amazing. Um, you know, Mackie Craven at OpenView you know, another, actually OpenView just in general, they're a Boston-based firm. Mm -hmm. um, really, really great. And, and both of them are kind of, you know, SaaS-focused, especially enterprise SaaS-focused. There's some really great people, you know, Alex Bard at Redpoint, um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Grace, Grace and Naomi at uh, Menlo. Mm-hmm. And one last question, because I think this is, I'm always telling founders to do this. So I'm kind of making you uh, uh, repeat what I always tell them. Sure, like, go ahead. Did you, um, or corroborating, I guess is the, is the right word. Um, did you already know these folks or did you reach out to them through your network and say, hey, you know, I'm doing this update. I'm going to be raising series A in December or something like that. Can I add you? Like, how did you sort of get them on your distribution list? Well, I, I followed the same process that I've always followed, which is I pick the person that I want to work with. Yeah. Yeah. I, I go through the normal channels either through, either through referrals or sometimes even through the associates, the junior associates, I get introductions to those people. I do the initial meeting to get them qualified of whether or not, whether or not they even like the idea. And once they've bought in and they've said yes, then they go onto my ongoing kind of nurture list, nurture campaign yep. of bringing them along in the, in the company's progress. Nurture campaign. Yep. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I like that. I call it pre-marketing your deal a little bit, but yeah, nurture campaigns. Same, same concept. Yeah. Very good. Okay. Um, any thoughts or just advice or thoughts for folks raising in, in today's market, which as we go to go to print here, it's the middle of uh, COVID lockdown. <laughs> what yeah. would you do if you were having to raise right now? Anything? Well, I think just the first thing is be realistic with yourself and your team about what's possible right now. I think every, literally every firm that I've talked to is pausing all deals. In fact, a lot of firms you've seen are getting heat for not following through on deals that were already penciled as done. Um, so the, and, the, and it's not just venture capital. I've also talked to five or six banks recently, uh, uh, venture debt banks that uh, have basically said, you know, they've put in place, you know, hundreds of million, billions of dollars in uh, debt facilities and now finally everyone's starting to call in on those debt mm -hmm. facilities. So I think, you know, no one would actually say this, but I think they actually, there's probably a shortage of cash available for additional uh, venture lines, especially venture debt lines, especially for early stage companies. So I think, I think we're going to see a shortage of debt uh, and a total pause on equity um, for at least a couple of months. And I think once, you know, there's a lot of fear in the market right now, which drives, uh, well, it drives the behavior that you would expect from investors. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, as a CEO and a founder, if you're trying to raise money today and you're probably going to listen to listen to this podcast sometime in early to mid April, um, it's, you probably got to give at least until, at least until the end of May before you have enough kind of evidence of what's going to happen with the, with the coronavirus and when people are going to be allowed to come back into the office and to see what's happening with, uh, you know, impact to the economy, consumer spending and hiring. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, what would basically you do? put, put, put fundraising do the nurture? on. I mean, would you like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Do, do the nurture founder. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Everyone's still doing meetings, you know? So absolutely. This is a great time to build relationships, bring investors along in the, in your process. Um, let them know what your hopes are in terms of fundraising timelines. Um, you just, it's not, it's not going to be the time to make any closing, you know, closing pitches. Time to nurture, not necessarily close. That's right. right. Maybe that's right. Yep. Um, yeah, that's good. I, uh, I don't know. I'm talking to a lot of founders and one thing I, I try and keep them encouraged about is like, there is perhaps an opportunity. You have all these investors. Yeah, I, I agree. They're, they're freezing up and locking down and, but they're also trapped at home. <laughs> and probably kind of bored. It's a little bit of a captive audience, right? You've got like, if you can get on their Zoom schedule, you know, you've got uh, all the investors trapped at home. So what else are they going to do other than listen to pitches and possibly well, help their portfolio companies? Here, here's the other maybe thing for if you if you are a founder of an early stage company, you're actually much better positioned than companies that are already focused on growth and revenue because all of those companies have hired lots of resources on go-to-market and sales, marketing, yeah. et cetera, customer success. And suddenly you've got this huge investment in go-to-market and you're not going to be able to close deals for the next four or five months. So those companies are going to be under massive pressure to do uh, staff reductions, cut costs, et cetera. Whereas as, as at an early stage company, especially if you're not selling very much yet, most of your investment is still in product and engineering. So this is a great time to double down on your investment in the product, invest maybe where, where you think competitors are not likely to invest 
and use this opportunity to get, uh, you know, to, to, to improve the quality of the experience of your product, to build additional, additional features, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, very good. All right, this is really good. Lots of interesting stuff here. I love this process. I've got copious notes, which we'll uh, reference. Uh, if people want to learn more, though, it's nuffsaid.com. Maybe spell it. Uh, and yeah, it's n-u-f-f-s-a-i-d.com. Uh, you know, the shameless plug at the end of the uh, at the end of the episode here. You know, it's if if you're feeling uh, overwhelmed or overloaded with communication at work, go sign up at Nuff Said. It's it's the product is amazing. It's going to change your life. All right, good, good plug. All right, Chris, thank you so much. This is great, and uh, maybe we'll catch you after your Series A round. We'll see how yeah, things l- change. L- looking forward to it, and uh, uh, very uh, appreciative for the invite. All right, cheers. Cheers.